Hey, y'all. This is Lance Lopez, and this is the Blues Podcast. Hello, and welcome to the Blues Podcast. I'm Big Boy Bloater. Uh, If you don't know who you are, then we're in a lot of trouble today. That's all I can say. Uh, With me today, now I'm very excited about this because we have a great guy. Uh, It's it's been ages since I've seen him, so I'm really, really, really excited about having a good chat. Uh, Amazing guitarist, amazing musician, just all-round absolute cool dude. It's the one and only Lance Lopez. Yay! Hi, Lance. How you doing? Big boy bloater. Good to see you again, mate. (laughs) Yeah, it's been a while, hasn't it? When when was the last? Was that London last time? I believe so. I think uh, at the uh, Rock and the Blues tour. Um, that's right yeah 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 four or five years four years ago three four i don't know is it that is it that long it's been that long wow. yeah it's been do, too long too long <laughs> everything else seems like a blur since right then, I don't it, even... in fact to be honest that night oh night seemed like a blur <laughs> uh, i remember it was fun i remember it was a lot of fun there you go that's that's, <laughs> that's the most important part <laughs> yeah uh, listen lance i want to go we, we always like to get real deep in on these things like you know and go right back to the early days and that kind of okay. stuff and um so um let's go right back to the beginning texas uh you're like you're something like eight years old and you get a guitar how did you get your first guitar my father got me a guitar for a christmas gift um and i'd wanted one i got i guess i got my first one when i was eight but i'd wanted one for a few years before that so he he finally got me one when i was five years old i went and uh we went to a pawn shop and uh my my father took me to a pawn shop and there was a 1957 sunburst stratocaster on the wall it was the first time i'd ever seen a stratocaster <laughs> and they took it down and let me play it and uh and it was three hundred dollars and wow. and so the, a guitar that's worth you know maybe almost you know, a hundred thousand today. <laughs> it was, I think, and I'll just never forget the price tag saying three hundred dollars. And so I sat down and played, and I knew immediately, oh my god, I I need to play guitar. And then you know, my dad had introduced me to like you know early rock and roll, Elvis Presley, and and, and all that music, and Chuck Berry. So he got me a guitar for a Christmas gift when I when I was eight, and he gave me the guitar, and then he gave me a vinyl copy, uh, an album LP of uh, the Great Twenty Eight by Chuck Berry. And he gave me those two things simultaneously. And he said, if, if, if you go learn all these Chuck Berry songs, I'll buy you an electric guitar. And, uh, so that's, that, that kind of set me on the, on the path right there. Christmas morning, Chuck Berry. <laughs> Sounds good. Sounds like a good Christmas. <laughs> that was a good one. <laughs> so I, I take it you learned the songs cause here we are now talking about guitars and you like amazing guitarists. So you obviously learned all the songs. Do you, do you still remember all the Chuck Berry songs? I, most of them. I, you know, when I really want to get inspired and, 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 and go back to like, if I haven't played guitar for a long time uh, or you know, a couple of weeks or whatever, or start getting back into practice mode and work mode, I kind of go back to the beginning. I mean, I was, my father uh, raised me on what I call real rock and roll. I mean, he, he was really good friends with Elvis Presley. They were in the army together. Um, they were, they were, they were really close up until the point of Elvis's death. And so, uh, I I was raised on that kind of music, little Richard, Chuck Berry, Bo Diddley, um, you know, all that kind of music, Gene Vincent, uh, the Everly brothers, 
you know, um, all the Jerry Lee Lewis, all the Memphis guys, you know, a lot of that, that rock and roll. I still go back to it today to cop those grooves and, and uh, just that intense raw power. So, but Chuck Berry really was to me, I guess he was the first consummate guitar hero. You know, I guess he was the first, yeah. like I, if, if you could call anybody a guitar hero. So, um, you know, it, it was, it was great to sit down and, and learn those songs. And my father used to stand at the record player with the needle and he would go, Nope, <laughs> Nope. <laughs> and he would, Again. he would take the needle and, <laughs> So I went, oh man, dad. <laughs> so, uh, how did you get on with the Chuck Berry stuff? Because Chuck famously kind of is not, he doesn't play like a lot of other guitarists does because he plays in like really weird keys. He plays in piano keys and because he was borrowing all Johnny Johnson's riffs and stuff. And so he's, a, he's an E flat and B flat and C. I mean, how, how, how were you getting on with that when you first started off? Did you think, well, this is, this is hard or you just ju jump straight in and think this is the way it is? The good, the, good, the good part about that, I'm glad you brought that up because it was immediately I was having to learn how to tune my guitar to the, to the track because they were all over the place. So yeah. that was a, that was a big part of the struggle. I'm so glad nobody really ever recognizes that, you know, because it, it is, it was in weird keys and weird tuning all over the place. So I would, yeah. part of the struggle of learning to those records was where is it? This doesn't sound right, you know, and I would, so I started to learn early on to tune to what, so it taught me how to play, learn tracks by ear um, you know, and, and tune to the track or if I'm on stage with someone tuned to someone else. Um, so it was an immediate crash course on how to, how to tune to a track or how to tune to someone else. Cause I think as well, famously Chuck on a lot of his gigs, certainly the later gigs, never even tuned his guitar is he just turned up at a show, took the guitar out of the case, started playing <laughs> and the band had to like tune up, get in there and guess what song it was out of the, I don't know, 300 Chuck Berry songs that it could have been. <laughs> I'm a real big fan of Chuck Berry, and in some ways, I'm kind of—I never got to see him live. And in some ways, I think, yeah, maybe that's good. Maybe it's bad, and, and you know, and sometimes I think, oh, maybe I might have had to back him one day, and that could have just been really, really make or break. I think I don't know. You hear so many stories about people backing Chuck Berry, right? And uh, right, I think probably just best to leave that one. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I was able to see him a couple of times live, you know, later, starting in the nineties. Um, there was the, the bit, the Belgium rhythm and blues festival, you know, in pure Belgium, right. You know, the pier. Yeah. Um, the first year I was there, I played with lucky Peterson and, uh, yeah, right, yeah. I was playing guitar with lucky and the following day was, was all everybody on the bill was, it was Bo Diddley, little Richard, Chuck Berry, Jerry Lee Lewis all on, like, it was like rock and roll day. Wow. And so it was consequently the, the, the day I met Bu uh, Buddy Miles. So I'd met Buddy the day before. So we had hung out all night. We were checking out and they were having, we were going to the festival and then leaving that day to see them all play. And I walk in the lobby and there's Buddy Miles, Chuck Berry and Bo Diddley sitting on the couch. And I just, and I just couldn't take a step further. And buddies, Lance, come here. <laughs> I was like, me, I can't go over there. <laughs> <laughs> what do you, what do you say? So, and I got to meet him, and and Chuck immediately. I was just so in awe, like, oh my God, there's Chuck Berry, and he left. And then I sat down with Bo Diddy, Bo Diddley, and Buddy Miles, and 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 I had my I had my Les Paul, and Bo was like, what kind of guitar is that? Let me see it. Sit down, come come here, and like gave me a guitar lesson. So I 
sat with, and I had, I had photographs of that for quite some time. I don't know whatever happened to him, but I had some, some photos of Bo Diddley and I sitting on the couch, but Chuck Berry had previously been there. So it was, it was huge, huge part, a huge moment in my life. Again, Bo Diddley is another, he's another guitarist who certainly had his own way of playing. I mean, he must've, he must've got some kind of real great tricks out of, out of but I would love to sit down with Bo for five minutes and find out how he did that. Cause he just didn't play like everybody else. He had his own way of doing things, didn't he? And it was just, it was about, I think it was so much about the groove. That was kind of, um, again, Chuck Berry being like the first real guitar hero, I guess. Um, it was so much, it was rhythmic. And I think, and that's what really what, what, um, you know, that there's the, the importance I just remember Bo Diddley stressing to me was, you know, it's, it's really in the right hand as opposed to the left. Uh, rhythmically and at that time that's really what all I did is I, I was a rhythm guitar player you know in bands I was in uh, I mean I played lead yeah. as well but primarily I was I was I was a rhythm guitarist and um, so it was a, it was a lot of helpful information uh, to have from him from such an iconic person but that's what I when I go back to those records today that's what I go back to cop. I mean, when I go back and listen to Little Richard and you hear those saxophone solos and the grooves start happening with the bass and the drums and the piano, that's that's the kind of pocket. And I mean, to me, that's rock and roll, you know? That's that's real rock and roll. So um, everything else just kind of builds on top of that. Yeah, I think you can't beat that New Orleans rock and roll, the rhythm section kind of thing. Old Parham on drums, just absolutely, absolutely amazing. Uh, yeah. Love that stuff. Um, I want to talk a little bit about Texas because uh, obviously that is a place that is musically just this uh, volcano of, of music talent, isn't it? I mean, uh, that must have been a great place to grow up if you wanted to like get into the music business. Texas must be brilliant for that. Growing up in in, in Texas was was uh, was monumental and and just the kind of the the sheer firepower of guitar players and and um, uh, influence of music. Um, was was and so many different varieties of music um, yeah. were 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 really uh, incredible to to be exposed to and grow up and and, and play with. You know, um, there was definitely a, a certain element of of fire and tenacity that kind of came from the area. And uh, one of the most monumental things that happened to me upon arriving as a child um, was. I knew that early on that I, you know, my father again had been really, you know, uh, influencing me with music and, and, you know, and then I had the kids that I grew up with and it seemed like everybody in Shreveport played guitar. You know, Kenny Wayne Shepard was from Shreveport, uh, Eddie Van Halen uh, and his wife had a lake home near our home. So they were there all the time. So that was a big, and that was when Van Halen was, was, you know, ruling the earth. And so they, uh, there was a big emphasis on that um that style of guitar playing and um and so i was more you know i was already i was really in the minor pentatonic scale and just playing bluesy and i guess a lot of that came from the introduction from my father of chuck berry and and the early rock and roll music that i was just kind of i was just kind of uh locked into that 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 style of playing and so the other kids would go man you play you play too bluesy you play bluesy and i thought bluesy like it was a bad thing, you know, and uh, yeah, right. Yeah. I wasn't playing fast and tapping and all the, you know, I didn't have a pointy guitar that was like, you know, pink or whatever. And um, 
And so all the kids were, you know, they, and so I, I went home and told my dad, dad, like the other kids are saying I'm playing bluesy. And so he, he put on a BB King record and he pulled out a, a record and he's like, this is BB King. This is the greatest blues singer. And, um, he's the other King or something. He said like other than Elvis, you know, he was like, he's the, and, and I just remember that kind of introduction. And, and my father actually knew BB King as well. He'd actually worked security for him. He'd been a bodyguard for BB King at some point. So he also knew BB King. So when we arrived in Dallas, I opened the newspaper and the first thing I saw as soon as we moved there was BB King in concert. And so I asked my mother, I, I, you know, I was 12, you know, I said, mom, can you take me to go see BB King? Here's BB, wow, BB King, you know, and I'd just been introduced to him, you know, a, a year or so before, you know, if, if that, you know, maybe, you know, nine months to a year before that. So now here's my opportunity to go see him live in concert because that's what I did. I went and saw these rock bands. I'd go see ACDC. I'd go see Van Halen. I'd go see all these bands, Kiss, whoever. Yeah. Get up front, watch the guitar player, and go home and mimic what they did. And so I was like, here's my opportunity to go see B.B. King and see what, you know, what's been happening. I've been told I sound bluesy. And, and so when we go... Um, I'm at the BB King concert and when we arrive, everyone, and this was in Dallas. And so everyone at the entire concert had these t-shirts on that said SRV on them, everybody. And I thought, why <laughs> does everyone have, what does that stand for? What does that mean? <laughs> what is SRV? And I, I remember literally being like angry, like frustrated because I, I was like, what is SRV mean? And, um, because everyone and the thousands of people had SRV t-shirts. And um, so BB King came out and he played and it was like, wow, BB King. And then out came Stevie Ray Vaughan. And um, uh, it, it was life-changing. It, it was completely life-changing. Um, it was his last hometown concert he ever performed. So they allowed him to headline the concert. Um, so I had no clue who Stevie Ray Vaughan was. I'd never heard of Stevie Ray Vaughan. I didn't know any of Stevie Ray Vaughan's music. What I did know is that I was a Jimi Hendrix fanatic and I was eating, breathing and sleeping Jimi Hendrix. I'd never seen anybody play Jimi Hendrix live. He had set the bar. So now here was this guy, totally life-changing. And then he's playing Jimi Hendrix. So it, it was completely monumental. And then B.B. King and Stevie Ray Vaughan played together. And, uh, and that was the first blues jam I ever witnessed. So that was my, that was the kind of the, the, the comet hitting the earth moment for me when I landed in Texas. And then sadly, um, uh, you know, a couple months later, Stevie Ray Vaughan was gone and I used to go to Charlie's guitar shop. My mother would take me to Charlie's guitar shop in Dallas and I would wait for him to, to come home. You know, I would hang out with Mark Pollock. I would hang out with all the guys at Charlie's and, and, and talk about Jimi Hendrix. And, and they would just tell me stories about Jimi Hendrix. And they would go, man, Stevie Ray is going to love this kid when he gets home. And sadly, you know, he never, he never made it, made it home from that tour. So, um, so then at that point, it really, that even, that even intensified the, uh, the, the deep dive into the blues, you know, that really even intensified it even more. That was it. You were hooked. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, you know, I'm not surprised uh, who, who could, who could not, you know, Jumping on that, that's, you know, what, what a show. What a fantastic show. Right. 
so you know you've got your you've got your guitar you're in texas your dad's giving you all this great music to to play and all that and then you start uh start playing bars in 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 uh in louisiana about the age of 14. now how does that work out because uh, you know did they, did they even let you in? Do you have to like put on a fake moustache and like, you know, kind of old man's clothes and sort of go in the back door? Or was it was it cool? Was it New Orleans was a was a was a you know if you've ever been to New Orleans or know anything about the history of New Orleans, it's it, especially back then it was a crazy place. Um, yeah. My father, so my mother was in Dallas, so I lived with my mother in Dallas. My father was in New Orleans, so right. After a couple of years of me being loud every day, all day long, I mean, I would practice nine hours a day. I would eat, breathe, and sleep guitar, you know, unless my mother took me to drop me off at, at, at Charlie's Guitar Shop to pester them all day. My mother finally goes, said, you know, you, you, it's time for you to, to go live with your dad. You need to go, go live with your father in New Orleans. And uh, so I moved to New Orleans with my father. And uh, he was living in an area uh, called Fat City. Now, Fat City back in those days was in Metairie, Louisiana, which was a, a suburb of New Orleans. And Fat City was kind of the local uh, French Quarter. So you had the French Quarter downtown that was, you know, a lot for the tourists in an international place. And it was, you know, the French Quarter, the legendary French Quarter. Fat City was a smaller version that was uh, in Jefferson Parish. And it was a where really where locals went and it was a little seedier, <laughs> you know, a little bit more gangstery, <laughs> you know, everything a grown boy needs. Exactly. <laughs> you know, gangsters, strippers, the blues. <laughs> like, yeah. What more could, what more could you want? Who, why would you not take your child and introduce him to live music there? <laughs> so that's where, uh, yeah, that's, that's where I wound up. Um, you know, because I, I I'd, I'd arrived in New Orleans with my little guitar and was playing, and 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 especially the blues. I mean, I was just I was just at that at that point it was I was into the blues. I mean, I was I was really becoming a scholar of all the Chicago, you know, Otis Rush and Buddy Guy and T Bone Walker and Albert King, Freddie King, you know, all all the stuff, Magic Sam, you know, all those all those guys. I was really into you know all the stuff that is the foundation of what we do you know i was i was deep in it and uh, so my father heard me playing and went wow he didn't he didn't realize you know he thought you know i don't know what he thought you know that if i maybe that was just a phase for me like a lot of kids that i grew up with they there was a lot of great guitar players and they went on and they joined the military or they got a job and they did whatever else and you know guitar was just fun for the time being yeah. But when I arrived there and was just so deep into the blues and he saw how hard I was practicing and he heard me play, it, it was that point he says, it's time to start going out and playing live. Like you, you got to go. And, and he knew the area, you know, he knew New Orleans and knew a lot of people and knew, knew members of the Neville brothers, the Neville family and, and uh, several other iconic New Orleans kind of people and just started taking me out to sit in with, uh, with bands in new Orleans. Like I got on stage and, you know, he'd have them bring me up and I'd play, you know, some songs. And, you know, the next thing, you know, they were like, Hey, come back tomorrow night. We'll pay you a hundred dollars to play, you know? <laughs> and I was like, that must've seemed like a lot of money. At that oh age. my God. It's like, <laughs> sounds like I'm a lot of money now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I wouldn't knock it to be honest. <laughs> 
So wouldn't mind that gig. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So it, anyway, it was, it was good. I mean, it was, um, it was amazing. I mean, I just, you know, standing on stage with those guys that I had no idea who, and that, that became a trend for the next few years as I was playing with legendary iconic musicians and had no clue who even who they were other than the fact of while I'm in real time on stage with them going, this is really, this is incredible. Oh my gosh. You know? So it began with, you know, classic, you know, stack style R and B new Orleans funk blues. And so from there you go on, you, you know, you start touring and you're like 17 years old out on the road. I mean, I've been reading through your, through your, your PR stuff and that kind of thing. And, and you know, the, the guys that have mentored, mentored you, it's like a list of who's who in rock and roll. I mean, it's just a, amazing. The guys you've worked with, like a buddy guy, you know, uh, you toured with BB King, right? Uh, you've, you've been the band uh, leader for Lucky Peterson. Uh, you know, just, uh, that's, that's some, I don't even know where to jump in on that, really. I'm just going to let you go and talk about that for a minute because it's just like so much to talk about. It it was it was I was I just had the 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 uh, the the blessing of extreme good fortune, you know, to be um, you know in in the midst of all those legends. Again, like I just said, I you know I would I would get the gig, and 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 that was my introduction to that music. You know, that was my, there was no one, it, it, it became a, a, a phase of my life where there was no one sitting down with me, handing me an album going, this is Little Milton. This is Bobby Blue Bland. This is Johnny Guitar Watson. I would show up and there they were, you know, and then it was like, this is who you're playing with tonight. Go learn these 15 songs, you know, with a cassette, you know, that's what, the, the days of the cassette, yeah. you know, where it was, yeah. there wasn't even a CD. It was a cassette tape, you know, <laughs> so, um, yeah. you know, and I, uh, you know, so again, it, and so all that, that paid off of, of sitting down with the Chuck Berry records, learning and tuning and, and going back to that, then started to pay off when I was, that happened. I would be in a situation where they would hand me a cassette and go, you've got three hours to learn these 10 songs. And so I would have to go get on a, in the bus or hotel lobby or parking lot you know i'd, I'd sit out with the, the headphones yeah. and the guitar and and so um you know and what how that all came to be was um back to you know my my dear friend and brother who i've missed very much lucky peterson um his band guy we moved back to dallas from new orleans we lived in florida briefly and then we moved back to dallas so now the whole family was all back in, in texas and uh, I went out to a jam session. Um, I, I was friends with with Lucky Peterson's band members, um, a couple of his horn players and and guitar player, who I eventually um, who I eventually replaced. Um, who he he ended up going and he got a gig with uh, Sheila E. Um, oh. And he left and joined Sheila E.'s band, and so then I joined Lucky Peterson's band. I went out to sit in with these guys and, and went to the, went to the show and uh, Lucky Peterson pulled me up at the last song. And this was now, mind you, this was in South, like deep South Dallas. It was an all African American club. I think me, the other, the, the guitar player, and I think maybe a saxophone player was the only three white people in the place. And I got on stage and played and I mean, the entire club just erupted 
And I just thought, oh my God. And it was just like the most exhilarating moment. And um, and this was this club Booker's Arandis. It was a le- it's no longer there, but it was a legendary place. It's where guys like BB King would go hang out after his concerts and all the heavy jazz guys, Miles Davis, all these kind of guys. Yeah. And um, so I, as a minute I took one step off the stage, a guy came up and he was like, hey man, can you be in Atlanta in three days? <laughs> you know, and I was like, I got a gig for you. And I was like, I don't know. I need to ask my dad. <laughs> you know, I was, I was 17 years old. See if you've got any homework. Yeah, I was 17 years old. You know, I was 17. And so, uh, you know, two days later, I was on a tour bus to Atlanta with Johnny Taylor. Wow. You know, I, I John, my dad took me to Johnny Taylor's office. And I sat in, uh, you know, Johnny Taylor's office with my dad and and Johnny Taylor. And my dad was like, don't take it easy on him. <laughs> you know, you know, let him, you know, he's going to work for you. And, and, and I mean, I was just like terrified. You know, it was, yeah. that was the music back school. Baptism of, yeah, exactly. Back, baptism. baptism of rock and roll. Eh? That was it. <laughs> so. From there, I just started playing with all kinds of guys. You know, they just, they would see me, we would do reviews. I've, I've, I got to meet all the legends. I think the first gig was with, uh, in Little Rock, with Bobby Blue Bland, Little Milton, and Johnny Guitar Watson. And I played with all of them in the same night. Wow. That's, that's quite amazing. Uh, yeah, wow. Um, working with those guys, I mean, I think they, you know, obviously taught you a lot about guitar playing, but you learned lots of other stuff on the road as well right about uh, about drinking and life on the road yeah oh, i mean man. were they hard lessons to take or uh, did you fall right into that one? Oh, definitely i mean you know i'd always you know just like with you know i'd always kind of had a knack for being a bit of a misfit with all the you know all my little blokes from the schoolyard <laughs> you know yeah. we we had always dipped off and had a beer here or a little smoke there or, you know that was always the thing but when I got out, you know, especially like starting around in New Orleans, it was, um, you know, I remember go- going back as early as, um, you know, when, at my first gigs, because, you know, when I was a kid in New Orleans uh, playing my first shows, the bars never closed. So the clubs, they were 24 hours a day. So you would you would go from fat city to the french quarter to fat city to the french quarter so you would go back and forth you'd play five gigs in one night so we would start from 5 pay, 5 p.m to 8 p.m you know first off i would get out of school i was in high school so i would get out of school i would go um to the first gig from five o'clock to to, to 8 p.m i would leave that gig and go to a 9 p.m to a midnight and then we'd leave that gig and go to the after hours show that was like 2 a.m. to 5 a.m. Then I would go home, take an hour nap, and then go to school. So I would, I would play three gigs all night and then, and then go to school all day and then do the same thing the next day. Wow. And did you, did you manage to finish school like that? So, uh, no. <laughs> so uh, in the midst of that. Something had to go, right? So, it was school. It was like, yeah, no, no. <laughs> Something's got, we got to, we got to prioritize the schedule. Yeah. Um, and I just remember one night I was, I was on stage at a gig in the French quarter and, uh, on bourbon street, it was called Seven Eleven bourbon. I'll never forget it. Cause it's no longer there. And I was on stage and I was sleepy uh, and I was yawning and the guy I was playing with goes, Hey man, 
you yawning? You sleepy? <laughs> you know, I was like, <laughs> he's like, meet me out back. <laughs> you know? And okay. I was like, oh my gosh, like I'm awake now and I don't, I'm not tired and I feel like I can. So that just, that coupled with, you know, knowing that um, there were certain substances I could use, you know, that would help me along, which <laughs> later then betrayed me, you know, it was total betrayal um, to uh, being around all those legendary guys. I just, a lot of them, I just mentioned watching what they did, wanting to be in the inner circle with those guys, because I knew they were, you know, not only standing on stage with them and performing with them, but then, you know, when I would see my heroes come backstage and pay tribute to them, you know, I, I wanted to do what they did. You know, if I'm going to play the blues and I I'm, I want to, you know, sound like I want to be those guys, I wanted to do what they did. But, yeah. And then, you know, and then you, I walked away with that with a massive addiction problem. Yeah. Massive addiction problem. You know, um, I looked, I came home and, you know, it was all well and good when it was out on the road and it was fun and it was party time. But then when I got home, it was like, uh oh, I have a problem. You know, and that's, that's what I walked away with from it. So it definitely was a, um, there was a time period where it worked and it was fun. And then, then, then the other side was total betrayal. So yeah, it just, it stemmed from that. Yeah. I, I guess that's the story for most people really. Isn't it? I mean, it's just these things I'd say hardly ever work out great. Right. I mean, it seems like you say fantastic at the time when you're on the road and everybody's partying and it's great. But yeah, when you come home and you crash back down to reality, that's that's when it really kicks in, right? It's the tough, t the tough times. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Tough lesson to learn, right? It is a tough lesson, and it's something I've struggled with off and on for years, you know. And I just know now that, you know, taking care of myself and um, my wellness and my sobriety has to be number one, you know. And that's I think that was where the stumbling block always came for me was that, you know, if I could get sober and I was doing better then and life would start getting better then i just need to kind of back away from the you know recovery and sobriety and taking care of my i'm, I'm okay now and then yeah. bang i would get blindsided again so th those were the hard lessons to learn was that you know the recovery and sobriety has to be number one in my life or you know i will eventually get blindsided yeah we don't want that no it's a tough You're lesson. doing good these days yeah Oh yeah. Really good. Really good. Yeah. It's been, it's been, uh, it's been a couple years now. It's been about three years now sobriety and, uh, feeling great, man. Feeling That's, great. I had, yeah. yeah, I had a last, you know, I had a, a really last big stumbler, uh, was, you know, due to my back, I had chronic back pain Yeah, and I was on tour touring a lot and, and I had a guy working for me and he had some, and it was totally harmless, you know, but he had some pain, painkillers, you know, pain pills and gave them to me. And, you know, in a perfect world, what I should have done was let me call my doctor, <laughs> but I'd give yeah. me the pills and I took them and then it was over. Yeah. So, when you've got that chronic backache, you, you know, you, you, you just want to get rid of it. You just want to stop it. You I mean, it's, it's like it, yeah. you can barely move. I, I know I've been there myself. It's absolutely horrible. It consumes your whole being and your whole life. It's like every single breath and movement is horrible. So, and being on the road with that as well, I mean, what do you do? I mean, wow, you know, right. it would be fantastic if we all had 
personal traveling physicians with us when take, taking care of us, looking after us and all that. But out on the road, it's not so easy, is it? So, it's, right. yeah, it's tough. It's tough. Mm-hmm. I want to talk about, you know, you play with all these guys, played around New Orleans and played everywhere, went on tour with all these guys. When was it you kind of really first started to discover your own sound and your your own kind of groove? Um, you know, when I, I began to make albums, um, I was, uh, I, you know, I think I was still searching. And, and uh, you know, when I first started making albums, I had kind of come out of playing with um, uh, Buddy Miles. So I'd been working with Buddy quite a bit, and I'd been in the Buddy Miles Express. So that had me cover, and then not only that, but then playing, you know, um, in, in, in that kind of a setup where not only was it the, the Buddy Miles Express was a big horn band, but then there was also a smaller stripped down version. And you can imagine what a lot of the set list material was like. Uh, it was a lot of, a lot of Santana, a lot of, a lot of Jimi Hendrix, um, a lot of that music that, and a lot of the, you know, covering the ground of, of all the great guitar players that, that Buddy uh, worked with. So those early albums had a lot of that influence. And I, I started working with a small independent label in upstate New York. And they definitely impressed upon, um, you know, that style, um, you know, the, the really psychedelic um, kind of funky jamming blues based, you know, that, that, that style of music. Yeah, yeah. And so, um, which I had no problem doing. And it wasn't until about three or so albums in that um, I made the decision. It was like, it was, uh, I was producing a lot of the records myself on small budgets, which was lack of, lack of time, you know, and, 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 and trying to put everything together. <laughs> they were very, very jam oriented albums. I wanted to have more song oriented records. You know, I wanted to have, you know, a bigger band and keyboards and, and songs, you know, not just to, not writing a song just as an excuse for a guitar solo you know, but an actual, actual music and song. So I began to start kind of shifting into that mode. Um, much to the dismay of the, the small label I was working with, they really wanted to keep me, you know, and the, and the, and, and a lot of the guitar players, you know, and there's a lot of, you know, great young guitar players today that were influenced by those records and, and still have high praise of that. And I think just like any artist, we love all their, like their early, work like that you know there's always those bands and i I still get a lot of that you know because i played a stratocaster a lot back then and the guys oh we loved you when you played the strat and you did those old records you know and it was great yeah but it was like i wanted to i wanted you know i started i was really in terms of music you know especially being a band leader and and all those in, in like you said for lucky and other artists i was a musical director so i wanted to think in terms of music and song so I started to shift more into that, uh, you know, midway through my career, you know, of recording albums. And so that's kind of where we've been the last, you know, over a decade or so of, of really trying, I started to work with, I, you know, I'd finally hit the wall and said, I, you know, I need to work with other producers. I need to work with other yeah. songwriters, not just me on my own again, you know, jamming and shredding. And, 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 and I wanted to save that for the live show. You know, and uh, so that's those were the big transitions, I think, in my life, Um, you know, and kind of getting out from underneath a a pigeonhole to playing a certain type of guitar. I wanted to play 
you know, a different type of guitar and, 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 and have, you know, other sounds. And so, um, you know, and I think it's something that, that's still evolving and changing today. You know, I think that's something that, um, I think as any, any artist should try to keep in the forefront is, you know, there's what works and then there's always the, the, uh, the ascension I feel like is, is a, is a very important part of growing and developing as an artist. It should be ever changing and, and moving forward. I was going to ask you about producers because uh, I know you've been working with uh, Fabrizio Grossi and uh, I wanted to know, uh, did, did you find it easier to work with a producer? But you kind of, you've answered that now a little bit, but um, let's talk about it a little bit. Cause some, some people listening might not really even know what a producer does that much. I mean, so uh, uh, it's interesting for, for me, uh, you know, the same, I started off, recording my albums you know as cheaply as possible just producing it yourself you know get get the bloody thing down on, onto tape and and get it out kind of thing what a, what a producer does is comes in and kind of fashions it and, and and kind of polishes it and gives you ideas and and you know you found that you found that really uh because i know a lot of people find it very very stifling they they have an idea in their head and they go no 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 i want to do this and someone comes in and says how about doing this you, you like it you like working with producers yeah Oh, absolutely. I mean, absolutely. I, you know, um, and I've had, the, I've had the extreme good fortune of working with, like you said, great, great record producers and, and songwriters. Yeah. Um, um, I've got to have the objectivity and the collaboration today, um, you know, to either rein me in or push me out, you know, either way. Right. I mean, you know, yeah. um, you know, if left to my own devices, like let's talk about guitar solos, for instance. If I'm in there recording guitar solos, or or here, I've I've gotten to the 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 three take rule uh, now, and I've really stuck to it and done it pretty pretty well now. But yeah, before that, it would go on and on and on and on and on and on and on. I would do take after take, and no, I can beat it. No, I can. It's better, you know. Just the perfectionism would start to come out and. Let me do it again. Let me do it again. And I have to have somebody there go, stop. <laughs> that's good enough. Yeah. Stop. We got it already. Yeah. yeah. And that's, move on. I've, that's one of the number one things I have to have, you know, cause I'll just sit in there and work on a, one song for six months. You know? yeah. So, yeah. um, and which on this new record we're doing right now, that, that actually happened. <laughs> so <laughs> that's one of the, that's one of the dangers of recording at home now without the producer here. Uh, yeah. But I, uh, no, I, you know, that's, that's definitely what I needed. I needed the objectivity. I needed, I needed someone to help me arrange a song, you know, when I write, um, and also working with other songwriters. So, uh, that was also, um, you know, because I want to, I want to, I want to record and document on my albums, great music and great songs, which I have to have the, uh, the humility enough to understand those all might not come from me. Like, you know, there, there are guys that like, I'm a guitar player. There are guys that are songwriters, you know, that aren't so much the guitar player, but they can write amazing songs. And especially when they work, they know you and you have a personal relationship with those writers that, and that's one of the great things about working with Joey Sykes has been for the the last however many years we've worked when we did when i was working with fabrizio and now joey's producing the record yeah. um he had you know we're, we're we're good friends and he has a he has a personal bird's eye view into my life 
So he can write about personal situations involving me. And man, it just alleviates so much stress of like, I've got to sit down and write a song today. It's got to be great, you know? Whereas I, I, you know, I have the humility enough now to go, hey man, I need songs. You know, um, I, I need good songs, you know? Yeah. And um, that's where working with other writers and great producers, I, I entrust those people to, to, to deliver that to me. You'll know, and to a lot of people as like, a guitarist, guitarist, you know, everybody loved the guitar playing all that. But you've obviously had to fall into this role of being a singer as well. Is that something you you enjoy or is that something you've just had to kind of go, you know, I need to, I need to sing, I need to front the band, I need to sing. Um, you know, do you could you ever imagine singing and not playing a guitar on a song? Yeah, absolutely. I, I love that. I'm actually a better singer when I do that. And I have done that. Um, I've, I've, for several great artists, I've I've stood on stage as a lead vocalist and yeah, and just sang, and I, you know I love doing that. Um, again, having humility enough to go, especially when there's great other monumental guitar players on stage. You know, there's like, what am I gonna do? <laughs> you know, yeah, like yeah. there, you know, there's only so many notes that everybody can play. You know, um, so. Um, I love, I love being a vocalist. And, and again, um, it, it was, it was, a, it was by benefit of working with great singers like Bobby Blue Bland and Johnny Taylor and Little Mill. I mean, I can go on and name all these great iconic guys off. Um, but it was, it was by working with them. Did they sit down with me and, um, and, and say, you gotta be a singer because part of that was, you know, being in those groups, um, you know, I was in, you know, growing up, I was in pro predominantly all African-American bands that sang, you had to sing you, you, that was a, a requirement in order to be in the band was to, you know, sing backing vocals. So I was just the, again, the extreme good fortune of, of being, you know, taught right there in real time, you know, learning on the firing line. Uh, how to do it and what to do and what to listen to and, and how to actually to do it. So, um, yeah, I mean, and it's, it's, it's just, it's a thing that I've, I've, um, you know, always loved to do. And, and, um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a, it's a huge part of, of what it, what it is that I do. Over your, you know, huge career so far, which is hopefully just going to get bigger and bigger and bigger. Uh, I'm sure it is. Have you got any major regrets? that really stick out for you? Oh man. You know, I, you know, I, I, that you can talk about. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, I, you know, part of the part today is man, you know, I, um, I've had to learn to, to not regret mistakes. Um, because I, you know, I, what I've had to do today is, is learn how to learn and, and from the mistakes, um, learn how to, um, you know, look, look at it from an entirely different angle, you know, look at, look at it from a different perspective. And that, and that goes for, um, uh, also people that I think have wronged me, you know, um, uh, resentments as well. I mean, I've had to look at that from an entirely different angle, from a perspective of, you know, uh, uh, uh just a, a whole different way. And this was nothing that I had, I came up with on my own. I mean, it was, Lots of help <laughs> from outside sources. 
<laughs> but you know, and that, and that was the key. It was like, man, you know, all I'm doing when I'm doing that is, is, is hurting myself, you know? Um, but yeah, there, there were many, mis- I mean, you know, as anything, I mean, you can imagine with the drugs and the alcohol and, and, you know, marriage, divorces, all the relationships, I mean, any of family stuff, any of that kind of real heavy, heavy stuff that's intense and heavy in life, there, sure, there were many. But today I look back on that and go, man, that that's why I am where I am today. I'm grateful I survived it all. And, 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 to, and to learn, you know, what led us to that mistake and what do we need to not do that'll get us there. You know, it's kind of like playing guitar when you're sitting down learning something and you, you're hitting a wrong note. You go, man, I don't need to hit that note anymore. What, what do I need to play different this time? It's just like learning a song. It's like life is, is so much like that, man. It's like, okay, well, this is where we keep making a mistake. Let's change that. So that's, um, and, and, and again, how do I change it? Well, I need help changing it. Can you help me change it? You know, just like work with the producer or anybody else. So you can tie the two together and, you know, that's what, um, you know, I eventually had to do. And so as far as, as regrets and, and, and those things, man, I just, you know, I made a lot of mistakes in my life, but they were all learning experiences. It's a good way of seeing it. It's a good way of seeing it. Uh, the, the other side of that coin, the other, the other question on the other side of that coin is, um, what, what ambitions have you got for the future? I mean, you've done so much stuff already. Where, where can you go from here on? What, 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 you know, what would be your ultimate goal now? Um, I think the ultimate goal is just to continue, you know, putting out great music, working with more artists. Um, you know, I definitely want to, uh, put together some more groups. Um, there's one thing to have, you know, my, my solo project, you know, that I've always done my solo career, but definitely in, involvement in more other, in different bands and with, in different genres, you know, um, yeah. uh, different sort of rock bands and, and other, other things like other groups and collaborating with other artists. I think that's, uh, that's a lot of where I'm, uh, the goals are kind of being fixated on and, and working with other artists. One in particular at the moment, you're really kind of eager to work with. I don't know. I mean, there's so many great, uh, so many great artists right now. I don't, um, you know, whatever, wh- whoever, whatever would work. I mean, there's so many great artists right now. I mean, we, we take hours just sitting, talking about how great everyone is today, but, um, you know, I don't know. I, I mean, not, not, not off the top of my head that I can think of. I always like to, uh, to finish these, uh, these blues podcasts with, uh, with this special question. And it's, it's a bit of, it's a bit of a strange one, but bear with me. Um, I want you to imagine that, uh, it's, it's years in the future and you've had this fantastic career and the world is a lovely place in the future. It's a great place. Everybody's kind of like got over their differences and it's just one big world and it's fantastic until, and here's the kicker it's announced that there's a huge, huge meteorite heading towards the earth and it's going to annihilate the whole place. It's just going to, it's just the end. It's the end. The end is coming. Now the, uh, the president of the world, the world president gets on the phone to you and he or she says, Hey Lance, you know, it's going to be the end of the world soon. We thought we'd, uh, go out with this amazing party, just put on the biggest party the world has ever seen. We want you to come and play. We want you to come down want to put a band together and we want you to come and play a special song for the end of the world so the question is who's in the band and what song are you going to finish the world off with <laughs> oh my gosh wow 
that's a that's a lot that's a lot happening right there i um yeah <laughs> I, you know man i would have to say um i would definitely want to, to play with all all you know I, I would definitely have to go well let me ask a, a lot of my close friends that are guitar players you know to be there as well you know that god god willing they would still be there guys like eric gales and and yeah. uh you know, good friends like that, and 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 have them there to, and 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 that's what I think it would be. I don't know if it would be so much a song as it would be. Let's just all take a a, a another big. Let's just play. You know, um, yeah. That's that's what I feel like it would definitely look like. You know, like a just count off a shuffle and let's just play the blues. <laughs> you know. Until the end of the world. Until the end of the world, let's just, just keep playing, you know. Um, yeah. That's what I feel like should, for me, if I was in that position, like currently today, now, you know, um, are there, there's tons of great songs to choose from, but that's what I would, I would, you know, I, I would like to envision is, you know, it's kind of, there's that song by B.B. King called Playing With My Friends, B.B. King and Robert Cray. Yeah. Yeah, I, I would definitely, I, I would definitely, it would be in that kind of mode. I would love to have everybody on stage all at once playing, you know, kind of like what I envision in heaven, you know, a big jam session. See, now I, th I thought you were going somewhere with this. I thought you were going to say with all those, all those guitarists on stage at once, if you position the speakers exactly right, you might be able to blow the meteorite back. <laughs> save the world. That would, that would be the greatest jam session of all time, wouldn't that be fantastic? That would be great. I'm sure that I've got some amplifiers here that could probably do that. Yeah. <laughs> so Rank it up to 11. Again, call me if that happens. Like We could probably work something out. <laughs> we could stack up enough speakers. I'll, I'll give NASA your phone number. There we go. And, uh, yeah, yeah. I'm sure they'll be in touch pretty soon. But... Nice. Uh, Lance, it's it's been absolutely fantastic talking with you, mate. It's it's great. Really good to see you again. Thanks, man. And I uh, just want to say, keep on doing what you're doing and keep on just being great and fantastic. And we love you. Love and, you guys uh, too, man. Hopefully, we'll see you soon. Cheers, Bloater. Talk soon, man. Thank you for joining us on the Blues Podcast. Please don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts from. And also, make sure you leave us a review and a rating as this helps other people find the blues podcast i'll catch you next time bye <laughs>